0: welcome you're listening to in the room the podcast our host international moderator and mc
1: veda sanasi creates a meeting point to amplify the valuable voices of our community from prominent icons to everyday people in the room is an opportunity to share their journeys their perspectives and boldest aspirations towards tackling global challenges ultimately contributing to rewriting the definition of leadership for the 21st century.
2: Hi, this is not usually how I start an episode, but I guess I'm still just reeling from what has been a truly unique and exceptional conversation I just had with my guest for today, Mr. David Bradford. I'm not sure how many of you listeners have ever heard of him, but in some circles, he's a bit of a celebrity. David has co-taught the course Interpersonal Dynamics for decades at Stanford Graduate School of Business alongside Carol Robin. Together, they have in fact taught the course for 75 years. Now, if you've never heard of Interpersonal Dynamics, you may have heard of it by its nickname, Touchy Feely, which happens to be one of the most popular courses taught at Stanford. People who've taken the course have often described it as life-changing. And in preparation for this interview, I reached out to a few friends of mine who I know took the course just to get their perspectives as well. And unsurprisingly, they all spoke very highly of it. But there's one thing they all kept saying as well. They said, Veda, it's really hard to describe. There's something about the experience in the classroom that is almost impossible to put in words for the things that it evokes in you and the way it makes you feel. One friend added, it is so hard to describe that even David and Carol's book, Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues, inspired usually by the course, couldn't. It just has to be experienced. Now, before we started the interview, David jokingly said to me, oh, don't worry, I'll give you a crash course for the next 50 minutes, tuition-free. It would obviously be preposterous of me to claim that what I, what I indeed experienced during the time we talked was a crash course. For I do not know what the course is like, but I will say this, it was a truly outstanding experience like very few I've ever had. And if you are a regular listener to the podcast, you will certainly very quickly notice that this was a different kind of interview. Anyway, whether this has sparked your curiosity or not, I still hope you will stick around for I can guarantee you there's a little something for everyone to take from David's wisdom. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of In the Room, the podcast. My name is Veda Sanasi, and I'm your host. David, thank you so much for making time um, to have this conversation with me. Um, I have been looking forward to this for a long time. I have so many of my friends who have taken your course at Stanford, and they all speak extremely highly about it. And getting a chance to have a conversation with you today is is such an honor. So thank you so much for your time.
1: Well, I'm glad to be here. This is going to be fun.
2: Thank you. And you said to me earlier that you're gonna do you're gonna give me a crash course in 15 minutes, yeah? <laughs> That's right, and That's no right. tuition. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, and I'm sure the audience is gonna love it as well. Um, <laughs> so, David, in every time I have a guest, I usually start by asking them their personal origin story so i have to do justice to that and i will ask you about your origin story i want to ask you about your origin story with a little bit of a twist you have obviously spent decades of your life um, dedicated to um, relationships and interpersonal dynamics um, and the learning of and the exploration of so if you could tell us you know i know you have a long life story to share so we could spend a whole episode on on your life story. Um, But if you could give us a short version of of your origin story with a focus on at what point in your life did you have this realization or this epiphany that relationship and interpersonal dynamics is what you want to focus your career on? Well, I think it has two aspects.
1: Uh, In fact, I was having a wonderful conversation with my wife last night. And sort of asking the same sort of question. And um, I, I think personally, I've been concerned because I um, struggle with letting people in to me. I, I, I am a relatively open person, but the question is, am I a vulnerable, vulnerable person? And that's a crucial distinction. Because I can tell you many things about myself, and I find that easy to do, even difficulties I've had. But being vulnerable is is a little more of a challenge for me. So I I have a personal component. Now, I also have a historical component. The basis of this course is called a T-group, and we can talk a little bit about what it's like. But it's a very powerful educational experience. And um, there were three people in 1948 who stumbled upon this technology and developed it. And one of the three was my father. So people say, you didn't, you grew up in a T group. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And um, so that was very much in my background. And I saw, I observed these groups. I was part of the research team as an adolescent that was doing research on it. And I saw the power of it, and it, it just was very, very intriguing. And I saw how it relatively quickly transformed relationships and changed individuals. So it, it, it was the um, impact. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to have an impact on my students and, and,
2: on, and on the world. Mm-hmm. I do want to know about the group group. But I'm also very curious to know, in the spirit of origin story, um, can you tell us the origin story of the course itself? And and, and as you know, most people know it's affectionately known as Touchy Feely. So tell us the origin story <laughs> of Touchy Feely. How did that come about? And and how did you then incorporate um, the, the T group in there?
1: Yes. Well, the uh, <clears throat> in 1966, and T groups were relatively powerful. Uh, not powerful, were uh, relatively well-known in the United States. That was the era of the personal growth movement. And this was one of the ways that people uh, did do personal development. And a uh, young assistant professor, uh, Ken Knight, started the course, actually. People think I started. I, I didn't start it. He started, and but didn't get tenure. And I was teaching at the University of Wisconsin and was recruited to come to Stanford to develop the course.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And at that time, it was only 12 students and one instructor. And I quickly realized that that wasn't economically viable. Mm -hmm. The school has money, but we had to make it a better ratio. Mm -hmm. So in the next 30 years, I was a primary person to develop the course. So I didn't start it, but I developed it. Mm -hmm. So we now have 36 students in a uh, section broken into three 12-person groups. We now have a very elaborate structure where we use trained facilitators and so on and so on. So for the next 30 years, uh, I added on things. I co-authored the um, book of readings that we use in it and uh, other other
2: aspects. Did it get coined touchy live before you arrived or after you arrived?
1: I don't know. I've always wondered when it started. <laughs> sort of like part of the history embedded somewhere. Mm. Uh, I, I'm not sure it was used then, but it might have been used. <laughs> or somebody came up with it and the students loved it. Mm. Needless to say, it's not in the catalog as the official
2: course. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, you, you mentioned on on the the book that we're going to talk about in a bit, uh, Connect, on, on the website, you, you mentioned that a majority of your students describe the course as the course that inspired the book as, as life-changing and transformational. And that's exactly what I've heard from my peers as well, who have taken your course over the years. What do you think about this course makes it so life-changing and transformative? Is it, is it the model? Is it the teaching model? Is it the content? What is it?
1: It's, um, it's, it's several things. Um, Most of us, unfortunately, walk around with a self-concept that if I'm to be leader-like, influential, sexy, attractive, I have to hide significant parts of myself, and often I have to pretend to be something else. And uh, at Stanford, there's a lot of pretension among the faculty as well as the students. So students come into this course... And our students have been very successful, often by pretending. And what they discover in this course, and we can talk about how they learn this, that the more they are themselves in an appropriate way, mm-hmm. the more interesting they are, the more influential they are. So it's a very validating course. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where often it's, it's transformational, where people can say, the me that I am, is a desirable me. Mm -hmm. And I can show that. I think secondarily, what they do is they acquire a set of important competencies, which allow them to show that in an appropriate way, because you just don't reveal everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, we lock people up who walk down the streets revealing everything. We have to be judicious, but we tend to hold back too much. And so there are a series of competencies where I can show more of myself in an appropriate way and the and the other third part is these competencies also allow me to build a relationship so you can be more of yourself. Yeah. We can grow together and we our trust can increase and our honesty can increase. Yeah. And uh, it, it's exhausting to be in a relationship where I constantly have to pretend or hold back or be cautious and and it's such a relief to say, well, can we just be us? Mm.
2: Two things here. One is you say that a number of these people who are successful have become successful because they've been pretending, um, and that in your course you kind of, you know, get them to, to, to appreciate their, their true self. In principle, that sounds like pretty straightforward to do, but I suspect it is not <laughs> at no. all. So, so how, do you, how do you get people there? Because also, it seems like it assumes that it's just like a switch. You're like, hey, you've been pretending, switch off, now you're not. But that's not how it works, surely, right? No,
1: no. Because all, all of this is a risk. So, so let me quickly summarize we, in the book. We talk about six characteristics of exceptional relationships, and they're true in all relationships. Uh, one is, can I be myself? The second is, can I build conditions where you could be more yourself? And the third is, can we trust that this information won't be used against us Hmm. as I share more and more? Can we be honest with each other? Uh, Can we raise difficulties, conflicts, and resolve it in a way that uh, actually builds a relationship? And are we committed to each other's growth? Well, all of those involve risk because if I show more of myself, you may judge me. You may not like it. You may reject me. If I encourage you to be yourself and you talk about a somewhat traumatic childhood, do I really want to hear all the details? And will that get me to want to take care of you? So it's risky for me to know you. Honesty is risky. Uh, and we don't say uh, say everything. Uh, so all of this is risk. And and so students and participants, because we do this with executives as well, slowly take the risk, and and the basis of the course is the notion it takes two to know one. I need to know your reaction to me to know me, and so we build in an openness where students start to share their reaction, hmm. and they say, "David, when you do that?" Um, I felt distance from you. Or when you did that, I felt closer to you. I felt more trusting.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so students gingerly, more slowly than I wish they would, but they're careful,
0: mm-hmm.
1: share more. And what they learn is that when they are vulnerable, when they show who they are, in most cases, not in
2: every case,
1: mm-hmm. it's, um, it's a positive effect.
2: You used the word vulnerable, and you said something earlier that stuck at the back of my mind. You gave that personal example, and you said that you are okay and comfortable being open, but you may not mm. always feel comfortable to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. What's the distinction here?
1: It, that's, that's wonderful. Um, we, we've probably experienced people who tell something very personal but, you know, they've told that story 42 times before.
0: <laughs>
2: I laugh because I have <laughs> too many examples of that <laughs> that come to mind. And and it's important to share that
1: because that gives some context for who we are. Mm. But for me, vulnerable is I share something and I don't know what the effect is going to be. And it has a possibility of being negative. Mm-hmm. So, um, let me uh, give give an example. Uh, often students refer to me as Professor Bradford. I'm not a professor. I got turned down for tenure. I'm a senior lecturer. It's lower status. Academia is a very status conscious place.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I am careful when I share that story.
0: Mm.
1: Because if I'm among my other faculty who are professors, Mm -hmm. I have just, uh, in the caste system that is academia, (laughs) I have just uh, become a delete. I have Mm -hmm. just become part of the lower class. Mm -hmm. So, um, now I've shared that before. So, vulnerability is not just have I shared it before, but in this, with this sort of group of people, how is it going to go down? Mm -hmm. And... um, and I find that when I'm willing to say, hey, look, I failed at Stanford and I got rehired in a different position, mm-hmm. most people say, okay, mm-hmm. but not everybody.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, now my reaction is probably <laughs> um, the, the evidence of, um, um, or rather the, ingredient that shows whether or not we are able to be vulnerable with each other at this very moment right now right
1: right mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. um and you know <laughs> you, you give all these examples i am also in education and in academia and and uh and then i see a lot of what you just described a lot of these uh examples and and, and stories and so, so this is resonating on so many levels i i do want to talk about the book and mm-hmm. In the book that you've co-authored with uh, Carol Robin, right, titled "Connect: Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues." Now, there's a, there's a lot to unpack about this book, but but there's one thing that was very glaring to me when I saw it that I want to want to ask you: emphasis on exceptional. You could have chosen a number of superlatives to describe quality relationship, and yet you chose exceptional. Tell us, tell us why. Why Why exceptional relationships?
1: Yeah. First, let me give some sort of context. We believe relationships are in a continuum. Uh, mm-hmm. I have casual friends. I have closer friends. I have uh, some that are quite strong that I've known for years. And so what we want to talk about is what we have seen being produced in the course And what Carol and I have with each other uh, is at the upper end of that continuum. And so we wanted to benchmark that as sort of the place that one can go to with a few other people. And we're very clear that you don't want every relationship to be exceptional. You you don't have the time or energy to do that. If you have four or five, so I have it with uh, my wife. Uh, My daughter, I have it with Carol. I have it maybe with a couple other people, and that's it. Uh, Because it takes work, and it takes risk. And it often takes raising the issues that could damage the relationship. Mm. Because if we can work that through, that will make it even stronger. So I talked about six characteristics of exceptional a few minutes ago. Those characteristics apply to all relationships. You know, we're to varying degrees honest, for example. But uh, can I be honest about things that are relevant to our relationship and not hold back? Uh, Can I know that you won't use that against me? Um, Do I know that um, when you are upset with me, you will raise it and we can work it through? And sometimes, we don't work, it doesn't work through and the relationship could be hurt. So we wanted that as an upper benchmark, but to acknowledge relationships are in a continuum and what the book talks about applies to all relationships and allows you to move from superficial to being more of a friend, from being a friend to being a confidant to being a confidant to being more intimate and so on. Mm-hmm.
2: And... I want to clarify. So you say exceptionally sort of at the upper end of that continuum and that when you were there, you are vulnerable. You're able to be your true authentic self. Can you be vulnerable and your true authentic self at the other lower levels of that continuum as well? Or should you? To various degrees, to various degrees.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and And again, when I say being myself, I, I don't share everything. Um, Even I have been married for fifty six years, and, and we're still discovering little things about each other. <laughs> um, so uh, and it's not necessarily that we held it back. We, some of it we might have. but but when you're further down, when you have, let's say, a good relationship, the question is, um, am I as, am I honest in that relationship in a way that uh, fulfills the needs for that relationship? So I'm not going to share everything with that person, but hopefully I'm sharing more than I had before. So relationships are also always in flux. And I would like to think that most of the time they're moving Up toward the higher end, but that's not always the case. Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, Just speaking about the book uh, a little bit more, I wanted to know if, um, I wanted to know what prompted you and Carol to to write the book, by which I mean, you've obviously, I read that collectively, you've taught it for 70, 75 years, and, and it's inspired a lot by the course. I guess what I'm asking is, why now? You, you could have done this before. You could have put this in, in a book form before. Is there something that's going on today that you've, you both felt that it was important to put that work out, to take it beyond the privileged students who could access it at, at the GSB uh, to the rest of the world? What, what prompted you guys? I think there was
1: two major things because we had talked about it and then we always said, oh, we're too busy or someday we'll do it. Uh, one was we got a call from an editor at Penguin Random House in London, and uh, so he said, "You want to write a book on this?" And uh, then he increased it by almost using the same words you used, Rita. He said, uh, "The the privileged few can use your course. Uh, don't mm-hmm. you want the world to have this?" Mm-hmm. Which hooked us. Mm-hmm. I think there was there's something else is that. Carol had just left Stanford to start a new enterprise, and uh, I'm at the end of my career. And so, for me, this is a um, this is this is a completing the completing chapter mm-hmm. to my professional life. So it's 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 a very important book to me personally,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, this this is my legacy. And I think that, uh, I don't know how many more years I have. And uh, so I think that I was very receptive to saying, yes, if I don't do it now, I may, may never do it. Mm-hmm. So it um, it's very personal.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> David, I mentioned that a number of my, my peers have taken your course. So you wouldn't be surprised to, to know that I contacted a few of them <laughs> before <laughs> before I got on a call with you. I wanted to to get their perspectives. This is one thing that a friend of mine said that I wanted to share with you and get get your thoughts on. And she said, um and, and she's read your book by the way and, and she said, you know, in as much as I've really enjoyed the book, she felt that it was impossible to capture some of the learnings that happen while she was in the course. And and she it left her wondering whether there can be a substitute for experiential learning, say, through a book. Um, did you feel the same way as you were putting the book together, that there was some of the essence of the experience that you were able to create over the years in the course that, that you just can't translate? Absolutely.
1: That was our big challenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could, we could write about the concepts, we could mm-hmm. describe what it is like to give effective feedback, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, what she is talking about is that almost magical moment. And my guess is this is what she's thinking about when she decided to either disclose something or confront somebody, because uh, there are many people walk around who say, um, you know, it's their mother's voice, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. And they swallow their anger and who let themselves express their um, uh, unhappiness with another group member for fe- and uh, the fear that it's going to destroy things and have the other person say, in essence, uh, I know that was hard and thank you. Uh, that took courage. And, and this is why um, students often say, uh, is it a requirement that I have to cry in this course? And we say, <laughs> absolutely not. But most students do mm. because they, they do something they never thought they could do, mm. um, including confronting me in the group. Mm. You know, can I really tell a professor that I think what he said was really nasty? Mm. I didn't mean to be nasty but it may have come over that way. And, um, and, and so we, we, we do things. Now, coming back to your question about how we do in the book, that was what we struggled with. So at the end of every chapter, well, at, at chapter two, we say, select four or five relationships you want to deepen. And at the end of every chapter, we say, okay, and we have suggestions. Take the, the concept of this chapter and apply it to one of those relationships and see what happens. So we, wanna, we don't want this to be a book where you read on a plane from New York to London.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We want this to be a book that people use. Mm-hmm. And we're hoping that in that application can capture a little bit what people experience in the group.
2: Mm-hmm. So you're saying that with the book, you don't need some sort of... Spiritual guide like David Bradford or Morpheus to sort of help you walk the path. You, 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 still able to um, extract some really powerful lessons from it. Yes,
1: if you are willing to mm. to apply it. To apply it. Okay. And what we ideally would want would be to have the reader read a chapter, mm. then apply it. Mm. So, for example, one of the instructions, chapter three, is about self-disclosure mm. and letting yourself be known. And we say, pick one of those four re- relationships you've talked about. Is there something important that relates to that relationship that you haven't shared? Go share it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, are they going to take the risk in doing that? Mm-hmm. Uh, are they going to say to their one of their good friends, mm-hmm. you know, I find myself feeling often competitive with you. Mm-hmm. And I feel embarrassed about saying that. Um, and then to see what happens. Mm-hmm. So it's only gonna it's gonna work best if the reader um, turns it into an experience mm-hmm. and has their own experiential learning. Mm-hmm.
2: Speaking about experiential learning, I'm curious to know: Did you have to? Are you currently teaching the course? And did you have to move it virtual when the pandemic happened?
1: Uh, we moved it virtual. I'm no longer teaching it, so I've talked with the people who are teaching it. Um, it's harder.
0: Mm.
1: We've had to decrease the group size from twelve to eight mm. because it's just too hard on on Zoom. Mm. Uh, it's more exhausting mm. because Zoom is exhausting, mm. um, and it still works. Mm. Maybe not quite as much depth, mm. Mm. or uh, but it still it works and it's it's successful. <laughs>
2: You know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation earlier with, uh, well, now colleague, but the former president of McAllister College, Brian Rosenberg. And, and he was telling me, it was like an hour before you and I talked, he was telling me how in just the past few months, he's made so many good friends, some of whom he would probably describe as exceptional um, relationships, but he's never met them because mm. they've all been on Zoom Is that possible? Is that the world we live in today, where you're able to have these deep, meaningful relationships, even if you're not able to share a physical space together? I think it's possible. My guess is
1: 300 years ago, people did that through correspondence. Hmm. Uh, I think it's harder. Hmm. Because one of the troubles with Zoom is we tend to forefront tasks and background relationships. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And what it takes is it takes us to put in that special effort to be more disclosing Mm -hmm. when it would be Mm -hmm. so easy on zoom to say, well, what are you doing? What are you up to? Uh, And we have that sort of chit chat. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, let me give an example. I've got a very good friend who lives in England. And um, so I call up Sarah every so often. I say, Sarah, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a choice point because mm-hmm. she's not doing fine, is mm-hmm. she? She mm-hmm. said it, mm-hmm. and I could easily say, "Well, I'm glad to hear that," or I could say, "Come on, Sarah, what's really going on?"
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I have another choice point. She says, "Well, you know, after my husband died, I I feel it's hard being locked down." Mm-hmm. I could say, "Well, it's too bad." Mm-hmm. Or I could say, tell me more. Mm. And and I think it requires us to listen for what isn't said or what is hinted at. And and it's often the more personal. Because the other person is asking themselves the question, do you really want to know? So when we say to somebody, how are you? Do we really want to know? Mm. Do we want them to say, well, I, I think I might have cancer. Thank you very much. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, we, we want them to say, oh, yes, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. And, and Sarah was tested out. Mm-hmm. Can I hear that? Can I encourage her? And can I tell her, no, I want to discuss a different level of intensity?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, how long have you known Sarah? <laughs>
1: Um, a long time.
2: Uh, I, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> no, I asked because I want to ask you this question. You've been teaching this for decades now, and yeah. the world has changed tremendously over the years. And uh, you mentioned, you know, yes, 300 years ago, we were writing correspondence, right? Now we have Zoom, um, but doesn't mean that we couldn't have um, these types of exceptional um, relationships. I'm curious to know if you think that, at its core, yeah, what constitutes exceptional relationships? It can stand the test of time, right? That it 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 holds true in the same way in the '80s, in the '90s, in the 2000s. That what makes relationships exceptional was true three hundred years ago when we were writing correspondence as it is true today is is that is that is that the case i, I think it is I have no
1: evidence for it, but when I read mm. historical fiction and uh mm. other books, you know people were lifelong friends mm. um, and uh, you know if you think of um um what is the, uh, a tale of two cities
0: mm.
1: where one person gave his life mm. for his friend. Um, mm. And um, he said, this is a far, far better thing that I have done. Mm. So, so, so I think there, there were those. Mm. I, th- I think the difference is, <clears throat> and, and it still is true in some, in, in many countries, we grew up with somebody. We went to school with somebody. We lived in the same neighborhood with somebody. They, they, We knew them since we were both six years old. Mm-hmm. And those relationships grew and grew and were tested with different things. We may have competed for the same girl, who knows? And we, <laughs> our relationship survived. Now we live in a transient world. Um, we live in a world... At least in the United States, I heard one out of five people change their residence every year. Now, they may just move down the block, but, you know, I grew up in Washington, D.C., went to school in Ohio, then in Michigan, I'm now in California. Uh, I don't want to go any further west, but, uh, you know, we live in a mobile world. So now we have to have the competencies of how can I, in a relatively short period of time, build a relationship that a century ago I didn't have to work on as much because we lived in the same area for so long. And I think that requires a set of skills that many people don't have. Uh, And I think our book describes it. Mm. Can I take the initiative to share myself Mm. when I don't know you? Mm. Can I know to do it to a certain amount but not to overwhelm you? Can I be a little more honest without insulting you? Um, Though those are difficult but important skills, and important skills certainly at work, because look at how work has changed. It used to be you join a company and be there all your life. Now everybody moves. Mm. So I as a boss, have to build a not an exceptional, but a close relationship. With my colleagues and direct reports and boss, hmm. um, my son used to work for IBM. And for the first year in his job, he had never met his boss because he was in Raleigh, North. He was in uh, the boss was in Raleigh, North Carolina. My son was in Minnesota. Hmm. How can I build a relationship on the phone with my boss? But I've got to. So, so the so the situations have changed, but the need is still there. Yeah, I'm going to add one more point about organizations. It used to be that organization work was relatively cut and dry. Okay, boss, you you give me an order. I carry it out. Now it's amorphous. I'm your direct report. You want me to take initiative. Who do I connect with? So it's a more challenging world. We have less time. I think time is a scarce resource, not money. Mm. How do I build a meaningful relationship in a compacted time period? Mm-hmm. It's hard. Mm-hmm.
2: And then, you know, now you look at phenomenons like people are competing for, you know, more social traction on Instagram, on Facebook. And, you know, it seems like we we, we all are craving for relationships and communities, but but maybe approaching it the wrong way, right? Yes, because
1: I think, uh, I'm not on Facebook, I don't like it, but what I see of it, it's, it's a lot of presented self.
0: You mm-hmm. know, one
1: of the examples we show, and we say the Instagram picture shows you and your partner in front of the Eiffel Tower smiling, but what it doesn't tell is you just had a major fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so So everything's wonderful on Instagram. And and it makes the viewer feel inadequate. Mm-hmm. You know, my life isn't always wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Facebook may not be the place where I should tell my inner world. Mm. Yeah. But that's not the basis of relationships.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oof. <laughs> yeah. Not, 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 not the depth I was planning on going, but I appreciate us being able to go there, right? Um, and um, yeah, and I, and I, and I'm sure that our listeners are also, you know, hopefully pausing and reflecting right now, right? How, how many of these um, relationships that we have are truly authentic, truly exceptional, truly of of a certain quality,
1: you know? Um, Yeah, and again, I don't want the the listener, I don't want you, to think that if a relationship isn't exceptional, it's not worth it. That's not true. I mean, if I can have a strong relationship, a robust one, where I can be reasonably honest, um, where I can... um, raise an issue with you if you do something that bothers me. If we have relationships like that, we're way ahead of the game. And exceptional is going to be very hard at work. It's possible, but I don't hold that standard. But I want a relationship at work where I can be honest, where I can say to my boss, hey, I think this is a mistake. Or, you know, I'm feeling annoyed because you cut me off three times in the last meeting, you know, what's going on? Now, I'm not going to tell him about my marital issues necessarily, but I'm going to want to talk about our relationship, boss. Yeah. And and I need to have the skills to build that where he or she doesn't feel attacked.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so, you know, David, how when you are an expert in something, the world expects you to be exceptional, pun intended, at it. <laughs> so so you can confirm that your relationships are not all exceptional
1: not only are they not exceptional but i have to say not infrequently my wife says with exasperation you teach this stuff why don't you do it right <laughs> uh-huh i mean there are times i hold back what i shouldn't there are times i don't share my feelings um, uh, I mean we're all human. Yeah. I, I think one of the questions is do we have the ability to recover when we do things wrong? And and that's also another competency. Can I say, hey, I'm sorry? Or I I feel bad about what I did. Mm-hmm. Um which happened recently with my wife and me, and we won't go into details. Wait, so
2: it never it never ends because I've I've had situations with my partner where, um, you know, because I'm in leadership, right? So I'm in education, uh-huh. I'm also pr- primarily in leadership. I've been t- teaching leadership for a while, so I'll hear things like, "For all that leadership stuff you teach, your empathy is really low." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I thought I thought I thought you get okay, all right. So I, I see. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Those dynamics never change. And that, right. is, that is the hallmark of exceptional relationship, that you can have these kinds of conversations. That's right.
1: And you can turn it into a learning experience. You see, because then the next question is, you say, ooh, <laughs> what did I not do?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because that other person has some valuable information for you. Yeah. It wasn't just a mm-hmm. that person's frustration.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I see we I see we're getting vulnerable here. <laughs> we're sharing we're sharing a lot. So you 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 did say that you were gonna give me a crash course in 50 minutes. So so I'd like to think that we are we are we are on track.
1: We're, we're doing great.
2: <laughs> we're doing great. And this is fun.
1: Yeah.
2: And thank you for being as open as you are. Well, thank you for making it so easy to be open um, uh, with you. I'm, I'm, I understand now why your course has been successful for so long. Um, you know, a uh, few, again, I, I will, of course, not claim that I've talked to you for a grand total of 50 minutes, precisely as I look at my clock. But there is definitely something about the quality of this conversation, this interaction, this engagement—that I can confidently say—is quite unique, and mm. I have had on very, very, very few occasions in 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 life in general. Um, and I'm not saying this just because I'm talking to you, but because I I genuinely mean this. And I think the audience, at least the audience who listens to to this podcast frequently, will certainly. I think, um, notice the difference. that the, the conversation that we're having today is very different from, I would argue, probably anything I've done in, on the podcast. Now we're on season two. So I want to say Whoa. thank you to you. Wow,
1: that, that, that's very, very gratifying.
2: That's, thank you. That's a gift. And you, you are endowed with that gift. Thank you for sharing your gift. Um, I do want to ask you a couple of silly questions before we wrap up. There are Um, no questions that are silly. (laughs) Um, The book is called Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues. If you absolutely had to choose only one of these three categories where you can build exceptional relationship, which one would you choose? Family, family.
1: friend, family. Okay, all right. For me, families. My wife is the most important person in my life, Hmm. and um, doesn't mean I do everything right. Far from it. (laughs) But that's where I want to. Hmm. Um, Now, Carol is a colleague, Hmm. but I have we have a very open relationship. We give each other feedback, we argue, and and we care for each other. Mm. You know, I've said to Carol more than once, why are you doing that? You're burning yourself out. Stop it. Mm. And it wasn't an attack. It was my concern for her. Mm. And uh, so I think it fits in all, all, all categories. But for me, family is the most important.
0: Mm.
2: Dude, I was just... <sighs> Well, essentially thanking you just now for what I certainly describe as a very high quality um, conversation we've just had. And it seems so at least it, it's been very organic, natural, and felt safe and very comfortable for the for the fifty minutes with fifty plus minutes we've spent together. It seems easy to do. And yet we know it's not. But why is this so hard? Why is it so hard for people to do? Why is it so hard for us to build and to nurture relationships and be able to listen and to be able to be listened? And why is it so hard to just... Because we know relationships are not of good quality. Why is it so hard? Um, I'm actually doing an
1: article on that. um, And it's a complicated question, but I I want to give a contrast. I took my granddaughter... um, a little while ago to the park and she was in the monkey bars climbing around. And in six minutes, she had a friend she had made climbing with her. Why can kids do it?
0: <laughs> and,
1: and we can't. Mm. And and I think there's a whole bunch of answers. Uh, one is um, we're often very concerned about our image. Now, um, I sort of say I'm too old to worry about my image. It's it's uh, um, if I haven't done it now, it's too late. But what what if I had said to myself, "Oh, I've got to impress Vida. I've got to show that I'm very smart. Oh, I've got to do this." It's just, so we we focus too much on ourselves. Um, also, um, in, in essence um. Uh, from the very beginning, you you seem like an interesting guy, and I wanted to know you. you know, in fact, we started before you podcast, we started to talk about different things and we said, "Gee, you know we need three more hours." yeah so so to, to what extent are we curious about other people? Can we let go of ourselves and be curious about other people? Um, I think that's that's part of it. We often walk around with a b- bunch of assumptions, we call them mental models that inhibit us. One of them is, um, uh, if I am bothered at you, that's a sign of a bad relationship. I don't think that's true. It's hmm. a sign that I'm bothered. Hmm. Or the assumption that if I uh, if you give me negative feedback, you're attacking me. Well, the assumption I make is feedback is a gift. It gives me information. So we have a bunch of assumptions that block us. Uh, we also don't have skills. Most people don't know how to give behavioral feedback. And we talk about it in a lot of detail in in the book. Mm. And uh, one of the things we say in the book is you can say anything to almost anybody if you stick with your reality. Well, then we describe what that is. And we don't have time now, so (laughs) hopefully, (laughs) listener buys the book. Mm. But I think if you stick with your reality, I can be more open. Mm. And my reality is here's how I'm feeling right now. Mm. That's why we call it, that's why the course is called touchy feeling. Emotions are very important. Mm. Most of us uh, aren't fully in touch with our feelings, our emotions. Um, in fact, one little guideline, we use the word I feel most of the time the wrong way. Mm. That word can stand for an emotion. I feel happy with this podcast, which I do. Or I can say, I feel that this was too short. There's no feeling words in that. Mm. So we use I feel for thoughts. Mm. I feel that you want to dominate isn't a feeling. It's an accusation. So we need to know how to talk in ways that are actually clearer, not more diplomatic, but more accurate. Mm. And most people don't have those skills until they buy the book. (laughs) (laughs)
2: well I am feeling quite touchy-feely right now so I will most probably um, go back to the book Um, but I also want to say thank you really a heartfelt thank you for this gift that has been the last um, hour Um, I don't know if you were joking when you said you'll give me a crash course before we started the podcast in 15 minutes, but <laughs> this this has been quite something really, really special. Thank you very much, David. Well, thank you, and let me make an observation. People say
1: relationships take a long time. We've been together an hour. I I feel sort of close to you, like and, uh, and I also, in a sort of sense, uh, regret that you don't live in Berkeley. <laughs> so in an hour at least from my point of view speaking of myself I'm feeling a connection and we've done that in an hour so we don't need years uh, and for me this has felt very authentic
2: you felt authentic well thank you but here's my commitment to you when global travel becomes easier and I find myself on that side of the world. I promise to hit you up and I'm going to come see you. Will you please do that? I absolutely, will. I'm in Berkeley and yeah. we'll have a lot of conversation. Absolutely. I know how to find you. <laughs> good. <laughs> please Thanks. do. Thanks, David. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed it a great deal. So good luck. Thank you. Wow. This was truly special. My conversation with David reminds me of a seminar I took in my freshman year in college called The Politics of Friendship. And we had to read this piece by Aristotle where he described three types of friendship. The first one is based on utility. The second one is based on pleasure. And the third one is based on virtue or character. And Aristotle says that the latter is the highest order of friendship. And one cannot have many of those. Just like David said, we cannot have a ton of exceptional relationships because these require a high level of empathy, a high level of vulnerability and authenticity, which is really hard to sustain in all relationships. So here's what I hope we can all pause and ask ourselves Do we have exceptional relationships? Do we have character friendships? Are we nurturing these relationships and friendships? And if not, I hope David has given us a good reminder to do so. And if you're still unsure how to go about it, well, get your hands on the book, Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends and Colleagues by David Bradford and Carol Robin. Thank you for listening.
0: Join us next time in the room as we co-create the journey to enable your life's mission.